Do you guys believe that it takes money to advance the kingdom of God? Oh, here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Let's receive the offering. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, giving us everything we have. And we joyfully, because we are a congregation filled with faith, not fear, we joyfully sow into your kingdom for the lost souls of this world. And we know that you will provide all of our needs according to your riches, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. Man, wasn't that an awesome worship time today? Gosh, isn't that just wonderful? Remember last week I was teaching about how praise is one of the avenues of injecting faith into our souls. We come out um, from a, a week of uh, slugging it out and we come into the atmosphere of praise, corporate praise. It's different than individual praise, which is also powerful, but corporate praise, the presence of God comes. And man, the fear, the doubt, the unbelief, the woe starts to leave and the presence and the joy and the power and faith of God come. It's a powerful force. Today we're going to move into um, the, uh, another avenue of faith. But it's very critical that you start with the premise of knowing how important faith is in your life. You won't care about the avenues of receiving faith if you don't if you're not convinced of how critical it is for you to have active, living faith today for your daily living. Look at the Bible says. This is the scripture that caused a Catholic monk to start a revolution that ended up being called the Reformation, which birthed the Protestant church. And that is this, Habakkuk 2.4. And the just shall live by his what? Faith. Not by his traditions, not by his convictions, the just shall live. That word shall live, I looked that up in the Greek because this will bring it home to you about how important faith is. Faith causes us to live. And here's what it means to live. Shall live means to live, to stay alive, to be preserved, to flourish, to enjoy life. To live in happiness, to breathe. Man, when I saw that one, I thought, I knew it. How many times have you heard me say, and if you haven't, I'll say it again, faith is like oxygen to the soul. Faith enables you and allows you to breathe deeply. Because you know that life is not all on your shoulders. It's on His shoulders and you and I are in His hand. But you see, if you're not operating in an act of faith, you don't believe that. You don't feel that. Maybe theologically in your head, oh yeah, I'm in the hands of God and, and you know, he's, he's my leader. But in your emotions, in your mind, the anxiety, the fear, the unbelief are your reality. And it's suffocating. And you're not breathing, you're hyperventilating. Anxiety attacks, worry and woe. Faith delivers us from all of that and causes us to breathe. That by faith, The just shall breathe. (laughs) Isn't that great? I said, isn't that great? (laughs) To live means to be alive, to be animated, to recover health, and to live continuously. But we have a part to play in this. 
God's faith doesn't just get dumped on us. God has required partnership from us. You read it all through the Bible. You live it yourself and you see it through the lives of others. There are those who live in faith and those who live in fear. And both are clearly and tangibly recognizable. And we want to live in faith. So here are some sources of gaining faith so that you can live and breathe, enjoy life, have breakthroughs. Jesus said clearly that this kind does not come out except by prayer and fast. And there are breakthroughs that don't happen without an injection of faith. So listen, if there are strongholds in your life right now, fear of stepping out to do what God's called you to do, sickness, disease, depression, oppression, financial provision, just not there and having to believe God for it, then you need to subject yourself to these areas of receiving faith. Now for me, it's like daily living. Gaining faith, increasing in faith, maintaining faith, nurturing faith is what I do on a daily basis because I, I understand personally, for, uh, I understand how critical faith is for this life. And I want my faith to be transferred and injected into my children so they get to start their adult life with faith. In fact, right now in their childhood, in faith, I love it when my little two-year-old Ava comes up to me to lay hands on me to pray for me because I'm sick. Lily, our four-year-old, laying hands on us when we're sick. I pray for Mama. I pray for Daddy. I love that. I love calling my children over. Come on, let's pray for Mommy. Let's pray for the dog. Come on, let Ellie lay your hand on the dog. We're praying for the dog now. You know, I want them to grow up in an atmosphere of active faith where we're believing God for things. And guess what? Something just might happen. And when it happens, pop! Answered prayer produces more faith. So, here's some sources of faith. Your testimony, others' testimony, the faith of others, the seeing of miracles, and the presence of God. And this is the one we were on um, last week, the presence of God. And we're going to move on to the... um, the next one next week. But today I want to continue talking about the presence of God. Last week we talked about the presence of God coming through praise. Now active praise breaks open God's presence in your life and produces faith. Boy, I want to preach on that all over again, but I won't. Today I want to talk about another avenue that opens up faith in your life, that brings the presence of God, and that is the power of prayer. Listen, prayer is the place of power. And I want to say something to you with no holds barred because it is a fact. And I'm sorry if this hurts your feelings, but it's true. I'm trying to help you. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Because the Christian life is not about you being strong and you doing more and trying harder and you doing something great for God. The Christian life is God on you. Amen? The Christian life is Christ flowing through you, through your personality. God thoughts flowing through your mind. Jesus' heart pulsating in your heart. Jesus weeping for the loss of the world through your soul. The joy of the Holy Spirit producing the joy of the Lord in your soul. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is not a religion of rules and regulations that we buckle down and through our willpower try to achieve 
That is not Christianity. That is religion. Christianity is coming to the end of ourselves and saying, God, you got to strengthen me. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your faith to move that mountain. Can I hear an amen? amen? So when you come to that understanding and that definition of Christianity, that we need to bow our knee and ask God to flex his muscles, then your pursuit is, how do I get more of God? God is not impressed with man. Man is to be impressed with God. This is why God chooses the weak, the insignificant, the outcasts most of the time to do his greatest work. Because they are the ones that are desperate, so they are the ones that are reaching up. And then they are the ones whose life, turning from weakness to strength, from foolishness to wisdom, from poverty to prosperity, from sickness to health, from loss to save, can give glory to God. And the worst thing that can happen is in your point of weakness, when God does come and touch you with His grace and transform your life, and then people to look at you and say, Wow! You say, Yeah, well, I know. And it's so easy to do. That's why we've got to remember where we came from and who touched us. Amen? But it's that place of prayer where His power is transferred. And the reason a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian is because out, without a life of prayer, an active life of praying, you cannot release the burdens of your soul into His hands. You see, there is a point of release in prayer. Prayer is not just a rote thing that we just do on a religious basis and feel bad if we don't do it and feel good if we do do it. That, that is not Christianity. If you've, if you've been here long enough, you'll, you'll hear me define religion versus Christianity all the time because they have nothing to do with one another. Jesus came into the religious environment of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago where there were religious leaders praying all day. They prayed, they fasted, they tithed, and Jesus says, you don't even know my Father. So you see, praying in itself does not bring you life. It's connecting with God that brings life into our souls. And there's a point of connection. There's a point of release in the place of prayer where you really do turn it all over to the Lord. And that doesn't happen outside of communing with God. And it's that releasing and rolling over the burden where the weight is gone and then life comes. That's why in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. See, that's the point of release right there. When you get to the place where you say, Thank you, God. You see? When you've finally been able to release it, you can say, Thank you, God. And then it says, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding of the situation will guard, mount up a garrison around your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. You see, it's that place of releasing the burdens of your soul into the hands of God that caused the peace of God then to enter in and become a guard or a garrison, a fortress around your heart and your mind. 
So a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian filled with fear, doubt, unbelief, worry, anxiety, because you really, in your soul, are carrying it all yourself. Theologically, you believe that really the Lord is carrying it, but you, in your soul, you're not in touch with it. Because the place you get in touch with that is in prayer. Then you're able to release the burden. So prayer is not about who's a better Christian, I prayed more than you, superiority, competition, or feeling bad because you're not praying. Prayer is about a changed life. It's about connecting with God. Prayer is the place where we get in touch with our destiny. I cannot count how many times I've wanted to quit being a pastor. And there are times when I haven't even wanted to go to God about it because I know what's going to happen. If I go to God, Kevin, with this quit thing on me, I know what he's going to do. <sighs> Man, I love God's people. Oh, the, the world's dying and going to hell. We've got to do something about it. I'm like, oh, darn it. You touched me again. And I'm serious. I know that sounds funny. There are times when I've not wanted to go to him in prayer because I know what's going to happen. It's the place of contact where the Bible says they that wait on the Lord. We were, we were singing about that. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up as eagles. That renewing, that word in the Hebrew literally means an exchange takes place. When you're waiting upon the Lord, when you're in His presence, when you're seeking Him, when you're praying in the car, praying you can pray anywhere. That's what I love about prayer. It's a life of prayer. It's not just a devotional moment. It's praying all the time. The Bible says pray always without ceasing. You're just praying, man. Breathing is praying. And when you do that, there are moments where God takes your weakness and He puts in you His strength. It's an actual, physical, spiritual, tangible exchange moment. That's prayer. God reminds you in prayer of who He is and who you are. Fear, doubt, unbelief, worry, and the circumstances of this life are not talking to you about your destiny except for failure. You're not going to get from the television, from entertainment, from secular books, and from anxieties of life. You're not going to get faith. I'm not preaching against these things. I'm preaching for faith. Where do you go to get that oxygen to breathe again, to believe again, to see again? God is such an encourager. Oh, man, does he breathe beautiful words into our souls. Look, this, I'm going to show you right now, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Psalm 138.3 says this, On the day I called to you, you answered me, and you made me strong and brave. One translation says, you made me bold in my soul. There are times when I'm walking around the house and I'm just kind of cranky and grumpy. 
And my wife will say, why don't you go pray? Because she likes me better after I've prayed. You see, in that place of prayer, there's an exchange that takes place. It's a lot like Superman going into that telephone booth. You know what I'm talking about? Clark Kent, the dork, goes into the booth and comes out with that big S on his chest. It's exactly what it's like in our house. How do you come out more gentle, more calm? I remember one time my, my, my brother used to be one of those that was just very curt, very sharp, very, um, you know, uh, you always felt, you know, condescending. You always felt less, being, like, you were, like you were more insignificant in his presence. You were less than. Always trying to, you know, get to the point, call him on the telephone. And there's like no reciprocal conversation. It's like, you know, you know he just kind of wants to get off the phone. And so he ended up spending an enormous amount of time in prayer one year. He was just spending time with God like nobody's business. And after about a year, we just happened to be in this, I was in this conversation with his fiancée at the time. And I said, uh, we were trying to describe our friends and family members just with one word, just having fun. You know, what, one word describes this person. We'd give a descriptive word. One word describes this person. I said, one word describes Brad. And both of us, and the same word said, gentle. And it shocked both of us. Not that he was a bad man. He was just a very sharp, curt businessman that was a D-type personality, a driver, and he's getting things done. And for us, both of us said gentle at the same time. Shocked both of us. And I knew that the only common denominator, the only variable that was injected into his life in the last year was that place of prayer. Now, how does that happen? I remember... Very clearly, remember, it was who I was. I was a quitter going to join something to quit. I quit everything. I quit friendships. I quit relationships. I quit sporting teams. I quit jobs. When it got hard or uncomfortable, I just quit. I was a quitter. And then one time, one day, uh, one scenario, I had this job and God would not let me quit. Just wouldn't let me quit. Just wouldn't let, would not let me quit. We hired somebody to replace me in the business, and then they get rehired by their former job and get twice their salary. That happened like three or four times. We've been adding the paper. I come in, I train the person to replace me because I wanted to quit because the business stunk. And I wanted to get out of it. It was hard. It wasn't working. And literally, we'd hire the person. They'd come in and say, uh, I got a call from my previous company and they offered me twice the salary. I'm sorry, I'm not going to take the job. That happened like three or four times in a row. And Brad calls me up on the phone and said, I think the Lord told me in prayer today, he wants you to be the general manager of our company. I'm like, like that took prayer to figure that one out. God had forced me into a position and he kept batting everybody out of the way in the midst of a pressure cooker, making me stay. And I would seek him and seek him and seek him. I remember laying on my floor in the living room with anxiety riddled all over my neck and my shoulders and my back, not wanting to go to work. It was that bad. Our business was suffering. And so were we. But the Lord put into me his non-quitter character. It happened in the place of prayer where he changed my nature into a portion of his. How cool is that? 
That's what the Bible says in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 or 2 Peter chapter 1. It says that through these precious promises, we are partakers of the divine nature so that we can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. You and I are partakers of God's divine nature. It's like pieces of God's character and nature get engrafted into your personality and your nature and character and you become a different person. Well, doesn't the Bible say that he that began a good work in you is going to continue that work until Jesus returns? Do you know what that good work is? You becoming to be more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not depressed. Jesus is not anxious. Jesus is not sick. Jesus is not a quitter. Jesus is not lustful. Jesus is not full of fear and anxiety and worry and woe. Jesus is holy. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is pure. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is full of faith, full of wisdom, full of love. Listen, don't you want your spouse to be more like Jesus? Then make them pray. Shove them into the prayer closet. Manipulate them. Do something. Prayer releases the measure of faith already within you. When we get into the place of prayer and we're just releasing our prayers to God, as we're in that place, unbelief, anxiety, fear, worry, the pressures of life, begin to get rolled off your soul so that the measure of faith God has already placed in you can come to the surface and help you live with faith in God. Faith releases the measure of gifting in you. This is amazing to me. I've learned this. God has given every one of us a measure of anointing and gifting and supernatural ability in this life to function whatever vocation that you're in. And there's a level of gifting in you that takes the same measure of faith God's given to you to connect with your gifting to activate it. And you can be anointed and appointed by God, gifted by God. But if you are not exercising faith in your um, area of giftedness, you'll be operating at a subpar level of that giftedness that's on the inside of you. I remember when I used to have tremendous anxiety and unbelief and fear and doubt when I would teach the Bible like this. Because the fear of man is a very strong thing. And you have people, you know, judging the way you're preaching all the time. It's happening right now. Well, I think you could have said that better. I think you could have done that better. I would have used a different scripture than that on you. I don't care. (laughs) But I used to really care until the Lord said this to me. John, have faith in the gift of teaching I put in you. The gift is perfect. You're not. So quit thinking about you. Quit thinking about them and exercise faith in the gift in you. And every time I'd walk to the pulpit, I would do two things. One, I would bind the spirit of the fear of man. And two, I would put all my attention on the pure gift of teaching that Jesus Christ put in me when he called me into the ministry. Because it's not about me. It's about Him and His grace for His purposes. Amen? Amen? And so, but if you don't release faith in the gift that's in you, you're not going to operate in that gift in confidence and authority. It's not about pride and arrogance at all. It's about humility 
Everybody's shocked that they've been called by God and to do what they've been called by God to do. And if you're not, we can smell you from about 100 miles away. The pride. Most of us are intimidated, fearful. Paul even said that. I was with you in fear and trembling. And my words were not persuasive speech. But I demonstrated the power of God so your faith would be in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man. See, Paul put faith in the Holy Spirit and in the gift of God on his life. So the reason I'm saying all that is to say the place of prayer is the place of power. It's the place that, that, that releases a revelation of who you are, who God is, what God's given to you, and the ability you have to make a difference in the world. All that happens in the place of prayer. Paul said this to the Ephesian church, I pray that God will give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you already are in God. He said, I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That, In other words, that you would understand who God is, His calling in your life, the inheritance He's already placed in you, and the power that He gives to those who believe. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul is praying that you and I will have this revelation, that you and I have the same authority Jesus Christ has. We sit with Him in heavenly places. We have authority over all powers and principalities, every demon. And so, but outside of the place of prayer, that revelation never comes. In prayer, God is constantly feeding you His thoughts. Let's look at uh, a passage in the Bible that shows a tremendous example of this. David was a king in the Old Testament. Well, he was anointed king. He was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And then for the next ten years of his life, he's living in caves and running from a king that was trying to kill him. His predecessor. uh, Trying to destroy him so that he would not take the kingship away. Saul was chasing David. So David, running from Saul, leaves his family, has to leave his family and his friends leave his nation. He goes into enemy territory. And uh, he runs into a group of 400 guys who are distressed, discouraged, and in debt. They're all broke, they're all discouraged, and they're all distressed. There's a bunch of losers. And there are 400 of them, and they're living in the cave of Adullam. And there is where David begins to meet his destiny. This is an amazing thing. David is anointed to be the next king of Israel. And though immediately, you know, he slays Goliath, he ends up marrying the king's daughter. He's living in the palace. And you're thinking, this is it. I was anointed to be the next king of Israel. I kill the giant. I marry the king's daughter. I'm living in the palace. I'm in the thrones like about an inch away from me. And the next thing that happens is Saul throws a spear at David and tries to kill him because he's jealous. So David gets uh, excommunicated. And he's running, exiled from Israel, and he's running out in enemy territory. You think, what the heck just happened? The time of testing, the time of trial, the time of purging you and learn, teaching you how to be dependent on God. David, ne- listen, David never would have been the man after God's own heart, the most incredible king Israel's ever had, 
The one God always refers back to and says, because of my servant David, because of David, look at David. David's my example. He never would have written all the Psalms that we live on if it wasn't for those 10 years of being in exile and learning how to seek God. Now listen, I'm going to say something real important to you right now. Trials don't produce faith in your life. What you choose to do in the trial determines whether it produces faith or bitterness. You and I both know there are people who have gone through tragedy, who got mad at God and they hate Him today. Not going to church, not in the Word of God, bitter at God, certainly not filled with faith. So trials don't produce faith in a believer's life. It's seeking God in the trial where God can remind you of your destiny. Yes, David, I did anoint you. Hang in there. You're my man. Your day's coming. Be faithful. Be loyal. How could it be that when Saul is in a cave going to the bathroom and his whole army's out there and David and his men are hiding in that very cave, When David could have cut his head off right there. That David could say, no, don't touch him. God's going to take care of this situation. God will take care of him. How do you get that kind of faith not to manipulate at work? How not to play the political game? How not to push and shove and push yourself forward? How not to manipulate and cheat? How do you get that that rest, that peace, that place where you can say, don't touch him. God is in control of all things. God will promote me when he's ready to promote me. Where does that come from? Where does that faith and trust come from? God being in His presence, hearing His voice. And so David has been running for 10 years for his life. And he and his band of of, uh, warriors leave their hometown, Ziklag. And when they come back to the town, the whole town's been burnt down completely. All the soldiers' wives and children have been taken. All their gold and silver and provisions have been taken. It's all over. Have you ever felt that way where you're just doing what's right? Just serving God, being faithful, tithing, doing, doing the right thing. And look, everybody around you is being promoted except for you. Everybody's getting their prayers answered except for you. Your friends are comforting you like Job's friends comforted him. You just don't seem to be getting a break on, at any direction. Let me say something that might really shock you. There are many times when God is testing you. There are many times when God puts you into a situation... Even not only when things aren't working out for you, it even seems that nobody in your life is there to support you and you feel all alone. That's a trial. And many times, God, well, all the time, God will put his sons and daughters into that place that's called a test of rejection. Every great man and woman of God has gone through the test of rejection. That is a trial. Jesus said, you're all going to leave me, but I'm not alone. The Father's with me. King David, 
left alone. Joseph, left alone. Moses, left alone. Paul, all have, ba- have abandoned me, but the Lord stood with me, and, with me and strengthened me. You've got to go through a season in your life where it's just you and God so that you can live life in faith in God and not in man. But what does that trial do? It's a choice. Most of us enter into a pity party. We play the martyr and we talk about how nobody understands me. Everybody's left me. We don't recognize the season of testing. And so we do not allow it to work in us that kind of faith that only comes from being alone with God. David didn't play the martyr. David didn't feel sorry for himself. David knew what to do. Let's read this. So David and his men came to the city. And there it was, burned with fire. Oh God, where's your protection? Oh God, where are your promises? Oh God, I thought you called me to be king of Israel. Burned with fire. And their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been in a season of your life where this, where you've been like this? I have. I have fallen down in the shower, weeping so hard, asking God, how could you let, how could you let this happen? How could you put anybody through something like this? Just weeping and weeping and weeping until you are just done. You have no more strength to weep and you're just despondent. Ever been there? David, David was there. Jesus was there. Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane and said, I am so depressed. I feel like I'm going to die. Please, Peter, James, and John, come pray with me. Jesus, the son of the living God, asked for prayer from his friends. And they slept instead. But Jesus fell on his knees, fell on his face, and prayed to God in his darkest hour. And the Bible says an angel appeared and strengthened him. And he came out of that place saying, God, Father, please, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be another way for us to do this. I can't do this. And it says he was under such anxiety and pressure in the moment that blood started coming out of the pores of his face. Talk about an anxiety attack. Talk about pressure. But in that moment, there was a point of exchange where God breathed His strength into His Son. And Jesus came walking out of that garden. He walked in depressed to the point of death and He walked out saying, it's time. Yet such resolve to go through what He was about to go through. Which if you've seen the passion of the Christ, you see what He went through. Where did He get the strength to go through that? In that place of prayer. If we could get the whole church praying, wow, would we see heaven on earth. It comes no other way but by through prayer.
You say, I don't have time to pray. pray. Make it. You've got to make it. If you want the strength of God. And David's two wives, whatever their names were, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now, David was greatly distressed. Greatly distressed. And the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. David's own army now wants to kill him. It's not bad enough that his own wife and children have been kidnapped. Could you imagine going home today, coming home from work, and your wife and your kids are gone? You've seen without a trace. You've seen the reality of that situation. You've, we've been in the situation we thought we'd lost one of our children, running and running and running, trying to find them, find them in a neighborhood or in a mall. That panic, that fear. David's wife and kids are gone. The city is burnt to the ground. Everybody's weeping and wailing. And then his own friends, his closest friends, his only friends in his life are talking about killing him. Oh God, where are you? And here's the phrase that made all the difference in the world. But... David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He knew where to go. He knew what to do. He knew who to talk with. When you are at the end of your rope, go to God. He can breathe into your soul divine faith. And you will come out of your times of prayer with renewed faith, vision, power, peace. And you can lead your family well. You can lead your children with hope. And then it says, after it says David strengthened himself in the Lord, it says, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Oh, man. <laughs> Woo! He did. It, shall I pursue this troop? Well, David, maybe we should first talk about the fact that your own troop wants to kill you. See, David right now, no longer, please catch this, no longer is even thinking about his circumstances. He's not even, he's not even thinking about the fact that the guys that are outside... His tent right now have rocks in their hands ready to kill him. Instead, because he had come to a place of exchange in his prayer time with God, God had given him strength. David now is talking about the future. Now he's talking about a plan and a strategy. About recovering what had been taken. He's ready to fight. So when he comes out to his men and they all have the rocks in their hands... He comes out and says, hey boys, let's go get him. (laughs) And the faith and the conviction in his eyes and the courage in his voice inspired 
his troops. In a moment of time, from wanting to kill him to wanting to go pick a fight. And they ran, caught up with him, and got everything back. And it was restored. And listen, gosh, it's so important. It's not, this is so important. And this will sound like such a cliche. God's breakthrough for you is usually right on the other side of your darkest hour. And it's in that darkest hour where you are done believing God that you have a choice to make. Are you going to be a man of God or not? Are you going to be a woman of God or not? When nothing in the natural is confirming the word of the Lord to your life, are you going to believe anyway? Because usually that is one step before the breakthrough. The very day that David strengthened himself in the Lord, when after a ten year run of faithfulness, after getting the word of the Lord, and running and running and running and running to the point where he's now at the worst he's ever been. That day, King Saul dies in battle and David is made king. And now he was ready to be made king. Let me read an email to you that was sent to me this week. A lady in our congregation emailed me right in the middle of me studying this. It was so perfect. And she was talking to me about how overwhelming the mountain is that needs to be moved in her family. And how she is, was just completely overwhelmed with the prospect of this mountain ever moving. And she said, in the midst of this worrying, praying, thinking, I had a vision from God of a hand holding five smooth stones. You know who else held five smooth stones one day in his hand? David, the king. We're talking about when he was a teenage boy, when he went out to fight Goliath. He reached down into a little brook got five smooth stones and he took one, put it in his little sling while all the army was standing behind him in all their armor, afraid to fight this giant. And he takes this little stone and he puts it in a sling and hits the giant right in the middle of the forehead and kills him. Because God was on that rock, pushing it through the air, guiding it right where it needed to go. David knew he had a relationship with his God. I knew it was a vision because it came out of nowhere and it was so strong it took me totally by surprise. My thoughts were broken into like this, quote, we interrupt this program to bring you a special announcement. (laughs) I've been praying for years for just one word from God about my children that would show me he was involved in this. I realized one word from God would change everything. It was just waiting for that word. 
With that vision, God showed me that He was involved and with me, that He had equipped me to do something, that I wasn't powerless, and that He would give me victory, even though I feel like I don't have enough resources in my own strength, and it looks like a hopeless situation. This is the power of prayer. It's the exchange of our nature for God's, our unbelief for His faith, our depression for His joy, our confusion for His peace. I'm going to challenge you to give this a try. Right now, we're in 100 days of prayer with thousands of churches around the nation. We start on July 28th. It's going to go through the election November 4th. A hundred days of prayer. We're already engaged in it. Just jump in. Just jump in the, the waters right now. A hundred days of prayer. I don't care if it's a minute a day, five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. Just jump in and start praying. And we're also going to start 40 days of fasting starting September the 24th. Thousands of churches in this nation, especially in California, are engaging in 40 days of fasting and prayer. Starting September 24th, fasting through the day of the election for many things. One, and the root of all of it is for revival in our nation. For our nation to repent, to turn from our wicked ways, and to seek God again so that God can heal our land. Listen, folks, we are in serious trouble. Our nation is on the brink of going so far down into destruction in every arena that our children and our grandchildren will not recognize the United States of America 20, 40 years from now. It will be a pagan nation that will look like many of the European countries where Christianity has become nothing but religion without power and immorality is the norm. Uh, my wife has a friend in the Netherlands who was a missionary with her in the Philippines, and she was mocked and ridiculed, and even her mother was weeping, begging her to have sex with her boyfriend before they got married. Please move in together. Please don't do this abstinence thing. Please don't wait till you're married. I mean, over there, they set it up, and they rent a hotel room and have their 13-year-old daughter have her first sexual experience. Um, they, 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 you understand the culture that is not a culture that fears God and honors God and lets God decide life and death and let God decide what are the rules and what is morality. When man is left to their own desires and their own wisdom, it always brings forth degradation. And so whether it's the Proposition 8, this way you're, you're going to have flyers on Prop 8, they're out, out there where, you know, four million people in, the United, in, in California alone said that marriage is between a man and a woman. It doesn't take any way, away any civil rights for a homosexual, married, uh, homosexual couple. They get all the same civil rights. It is just the definition of marriage. That's all. The definition of marriage is a man and a woman. Four million Californians voted that that was the case. Four judges in Sacramento, four activist judges says, well, we don't care about the will of the people. We don't like it. Okay. So they have usurped democracy. 
Okay, so that's what the Prop 8 is about, is to put an amendment to the Constitution so that judges cannot decide to say, forget about democracy, we're going to legislate from the bench. Or whether it's the presidential elections. Um, among many other things. But you see, let me say the, the root issue here is God touching our nation. The root issue is revival, spiritual renewal, repentance, spiritual life. The Bible does not say that everyone in the nation needs to repent, seek God, and turn from the wicked ways. God says, if my people will humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So it's not just for your personal renewal. It's for our state and for our nation. As California goes, the whole country goes. That's why there are thousands of churches all over the United States fasting and praying for California and for Prop 8 especially, but for revival. And then Lou Ingalls is coming on November 2nd. It's a Saturday for the call. He has has, has had 400,000 teenagers on the White House steps praying and fasting for repentance and renewal and revival in our nation. He's gone to four or five different states and done this. He's coming to Qualcomm Stadium on November 2nd, and it's estimated the place is going to be packed with 70,000 believers from San Diego who have been in 100 days of prayer, 40 days of fasting and prayer, and we're going to pack that stadium out and we're going to cry out to God together for God to touch California and heal our land. So let's be in the fray. Let's be part of that troop. Let's let the gathering place do its part in this city to bring God's revival to our town. Amen? Father, we pray that you would help us pray. Give us a burden for prayer. Teach us how to pray. Move in us and among us, God. Fill up this house with people who are hungry for God, searching for spiritual answers, needing, Father, new life in their souls. God, we want this place to be a place of revival, a place of power, a place of healing, a place of salvation, a place of the fear of the Lord, a place that cares about the suffering and the poor. We'll give our money, we'll give our time, we'll give our prayers, we'll give our lives for your cause, Jesus. God, I pray for a spirit of repentance on this church. Every one of us in this room that are involved in pornography, that are involved in greed, that are involved in lust, pride, unforgiveness, and bitterness, resentment, anger at you, strife in marriages, alcoholism, Taking you lightly, not tithing and giving to the kingdom of God. We repent from fear, unbelief, doubt, not caring about the poor, not giving a hoot about the world and 
people dying and being lost for eternity. God, I pray, we pray that you would put into this church a spirit of repentance and the fear of the Lord so we can be the powerful church you've called us to be. Lord, as this church begins to pray like never before, stir, put a fire in the heart of every believer. Transform lives, change houses, heal marriages, and have your way. In Jesus' name. I want to pray one last big prayer before we go today. I'm sorry, I've really gone long today. But I pray it fed your soul. God, we pray. Grab, grab a hold of your neighbor's hand. This is really important. God, we pray for the Chargers. It's our year, God. You know it's true. What other state, God, is fasting and praying? I got a prophetic word the Lord just spoke to me. He showed me that one of the most evil cultures was the ancient Egyptian culture. They worship cats. Carolina Panthers. And the power of God is always symbolized by lightning. She comes down and strikes the cat, kills the cat. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, no, I just, is there anybody here? Is there anyone here, seriously, who you've been sitting here and you sense the presence of God and you know he's real, but you haven't given yourself to him? You haven't turned your life over to Jesus and accepted his gift on the cross. But you sense right now that you want to. You don't know how. Maybe you don't know how, but you want to. If you're here and that's what you're thinking and that thought has crossed your mind today, why don't you come right up here afterwards, as soon as we're dismissed, and talk to me. And I want to make sure that you come to know Jesus as your personal Savior and have a relationship with him for the rest of your life. Otherwise, we're dismissed. But if that's you, would you please come forward before you leave here? And we're going to pray together. All right?